They used to say the Democrats, we would bring a spoon to, to a knife fight or whatever the joke was. But we're getting more serious about it. And I think that's great. And I think people are listening. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Wayne Liebman of Blue Voter Guide, technology that makes voting easier by showing the endorsements of a wide range of progressive organizations, something that's especially helpful for ballot measures, down ticket offices, and judgeships that require a lot of investigation otherwise. Wayne is a doctor who became an activist. He has a nice story and a useful project. We also talked a little bit about Field Team 6 and the swing congressional races in part of California. So, after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Wayne Liebman with the Blue Voter Guide. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Wayne, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Uh, sure. My name is Wayne Liebman. I am a physician. I was born in Los Angeles, and I retired in 2017 after a very long career as an anesthesiologist. I was really only peripherally interested in politics. I was involved in the anti-war movement way back when and in the anti-nuclear movement in the 80s. But I was pretty much living my life. I had a sideline as a playwright. I was looking forward to a comfortable retirement writing plays. And then the 2016 election happened. And my whole life shifted. My brain broke. And I became an activist. Uh, it was not a matter of deciding or making a choice. The choice was made for me. And I've been going 24-7 since that time. What was the 2016 election? Who, who won that one? I believe that was won by the um, the guy with the orange hair. That was really something. And it was really only early in 2017 in the Women's March when you went downtown. I was in L.A. and I couldn't even get a place on the uh, subway uh, going down. It was so crowded. And people were singing. I've never seen that before. They were singing, We Shall Overcome. And I mean, it was a sense of community. And then you got downtown and there were three quarters of a million people there. And suddenly I realized, okay, there is potential here for turning this thing around. It's a weird moment in our history where, you know, half the country was distressed and bonding in that fashion and half of it was celebrating. It is. And it's the result of a 40, 50 year concerted effort, which I think we all know about on the part of uh, elements on the right uh, to take power back by any means, because their policies are not really popular when you have given a chance to explain what they are. 
Um, so uh, that's our moment now. And it's obviously it's very fraught. 24-7, you said, as an activist, what were some of the things that you've done along the way? Well, the first thing that happened was I went to a gathering and a new organization had popped up at that time. It was called Swing Left. There was a bunch of people in a park and everybody was really excited and we were going to go and take back our local swing district, but nobody had a clue what to do or how to do it. There was a lot of energy and it completely dissipated. And it was only when Karen Bass stepped in with a pack that she ran called Sea Change and chartered some buses to take people up to CA25 to register voters that I realized, oh, okay, engagement. That's what we have to do. But it was a big lesson about volunteer energy being dissipated in the black hole of non-responsiveness. And so I got involved in building infrastructure for volunteers so that that wouldn't happen again. Well, Swing Left was infrastructure for volunteers and did direct a lot of people into activities. So I'm not sure what you mean about whatever their shortcomings were in that moment. Well, in that moment, it was all about get together, have a group, and go flip a district. But there was just no information about how. So it was too early in their development, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. So so what did you do? I actually uh, joined an indivisible group, uh, and there was a big how about how to do that, but they were not interested in electoral politics at that point. What they were interested in was uh, influencing people who were in office. So a bunch of us got together and decided... We're going to form an organization and we're going to coordinate actions to flip the five swing districts which surrounded Los Angeles. At the time, we called ourselves Swing SoCal Left, but we later changed our name to SoCal Blue. We created a common calendar so that organizers wouldn't trip over each other. And we went up into the the various districts, and there were five, and we presented the calendar to all kinds of groups that were working there and tried to unite them into action councils. That's what happened. And it was a very successful model. We went five for five. Right. Along with lots of people working on those races. The problem was that there were thousands and thousands of volunteers. I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches. And what do you do? So it needed to be organized and coordinated. The common calendar was really useful. Yeah. I don't mean to say we were the reason for this. We were part of many coalitions that were working in in Southern California to channel all this energy. What's on a common calendar? Events, uh, all kinds of events, whether it's voter registration or postcarding or texting or canvassing. And the calendar is passed through and it just sends people right to the organizers' websites. And it's uh, sliced and diced any way you want to try to find events by the type of event or by the area that it's in. Yeah. And uh, so what was your role as you were like making this transition into activism? (laughs) Well, I, I've always been interested a little bit in technology. I was a kind of a WordPress tourist, although eventually I guess now I'm a professional tourist in WordPress, but I was sort of good at putting together a site. They initially had a site that didn't work, uh, and then I got it to the point where it worked. And so I've always been involved in maintaining the website and making sure it, it was functional. And yeah. Seems fitting for an anesthesiologist somehow, but keeping it alive. <laughs> Trace your path forward as you were fighting the fight. We had a great success in 2018, 
There was another organization, which was called Field Team Six, which I think was a, a, an organization you profiled. That was a voter registration organization. And they were trying to, they were local and they were trying to go national and they needed some help with organizing the back end. I kept my, my job at SoCal Blue, which was a volunteer job. We pay everybody the super low volunteer rate of nothing. And I joined Field Team Six as a volunteer and I began to create these teams to handle all this stuff that had to happen on the back end of Field Team 6 to be able to scale nationally. I guess my official title there became Director of Operations, but really my title should be Hairball Detangler, because that's kind of what I do there. It sounds tantalizing. So while you're detangling hairballs, what was your feeling about the impact of, of the organizations you were working with and how things were going? Field Team 6 was able to help register over a million voters. And in concert with everybody else, we think that we really helped in the 2020 election. And then there was a project that SoCal Blue got involved with, which was a voter guide for the ballot propositions in California, which was a concept that was kind of new. Probably somebody invented it, but it was really just one page on the website. And Every row was a ballot proposition and every column was an organization. And we just filled in the grid and people were always coming to us saying, how should I vote? You know, do you know about the propositions? And so we thought, well, this is kind of an X-ray of how to look at the propositions. And you can see here's this one. Oh, all these organizations say or vote yes on this. And all these are voting no. And these are like this. So with that idea in our brain, we ran across other websites nationally where you'd input your address and you would then look at your ballot and then you could get all kinds of information about the races. And we thought, well, that wasn't so great. Maybe we could combine what we did with that. And that's what Blue Voter Guide is. So just out of curiosity, when you were looking at these ballot initiatives, I'm assuming you're picking progressive organizations to go into the columns. Yeah. Yes. Trusted Progressive organizations. Were yeah. they all on the same side of all of them? Or was there some complexity to to some types of things where they lined up on different sides? There, Yeah, there were some where you could look at this and, and you could see, oh, it was kind of split. But uh, most of the time, it, there was a clear answer, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody who was sort of on our team could have their work done for them pretty reliably by these organizations that were looking at it more closely that had expertise and and say, okay, I'm I'm a no on one, three, five, and seven or whatever. Yeah, it kind of provides social proof. So this page was extremely successful. There were thousands and thousands of people who were confused about ballot propositions, did not want to have to read so much that they could get a PhD in, in each one. And they were looking for a way that kind of cut through everything and gave them an answer. And so this was really useful, we found. Yeah. You mentioned the tools where you could put in your zip code or put in your address, I guess, and actually see your ballot, like Ballot Ready provides a, a, a tool for that. And I've interviewed the two co-founders of that separately. They're a nonpartisan entity. They have done really well. They've brought together a tremendous amount of data around the country, around all these races, and also information about, say, the candidates to some degree. Make a distinction between what they provide and what you're trying to do with the Blue Voter Guide. 
there's two differences that are really key. The first one is that they're all nonpartisan. So they try to remain neutral or they just want to give you the information. And if you want to get your PhD, you can read all the information and then make your decision. We are proudly partisan. So we are not particularly interested in electing Republicans to any office. And so we don't really talk about them. The endorsers organizations are organizations that are on the left. They include the Democratic Party and other familiar orgs. That's a big, important distinction. And the, the second thing is, is the way we give the information, which we've kind of covered, is what we, you know, we don't bury people in verbiage. We just say, look, here's the candidate. These are all the organizations that are endorsing this candidate. And you can take a look and see what you think. And you can click through and find more information about the endorsing organization if you want. And you can also click on the candidate picture, and that will take you to a page where you can learn more about the candidate. But if you just want an x-ray of where this, where this candidate is, this is a good way to do it. And this is actually something that goes way back in American politics, a slate that you should vote for the labor slate, churches have their endorsements, um, things like that. But this is electronic. This electronic, and it's a little different because there are a number of races that are nonpartisan. They're not blue or red uh, colored as the Republicans and the Democrats are in the guide, but they're kind of gray. And you know, you never know how that's going to turn out. The endorsing organizations, uh, they fall this way or that. And also, of course, ballot propositions and judges. Everybody tears their hair out when they think about judges. Maybe it would be better if we just randomly selected judges. But, you know, they've given us the vote and we're there trying to figure it out. So when we can, and it's very hard to find those organizations, we put the endorsers in who are behind the judges. Does the Blue Voter Guide sit within an organization? It's its own thing. It's funded by an organization called Forward California, which is distinct from California Forward, which is a whole different organization. That's a C4. And it funds also SoCal Blue. But we're now uh, kind of joined at the hip with Field Team 6 as well. And Field Team 6 is a political committee. You're part of this idea sitting outside of this organization that is now formed, what was the purpose of having it its own thing, even funded by the same funder as you'd been working with before? We had to build a website that was a separate website. We couldn't build it within any website that we had. The technical problems were really great. So we had to get a domain for it. And so it just naturally fell into its own brand. And we kind of liked the name Blue Voter Guide. So we went with that. Is it costly to put this together? Not terribly if you pick the right vendor. Some vendors are unbelievably expensive in what they want to charge you for election data, and others are much more reasonable. So we found a reasonable, public, well-known vendor that is, does really good work with researching the elections, and we use their data. And that is... The contract specifies that we don't get to tell you. Um, they don't want to be associated with anything that's partisan. Uh, they're strictly nonpartisan. So uh, I could whisper in your ear privately, but I mean, publicly, I'm, I'm not supposed to say. I think you already whispered that to me in an earlier conversation, but uh, well, I keep thought it close. Yeah, yes. keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there aren't that many sources of that sort of data. So somebody could probably figure out um, with their own research if they wanted to do something similar. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds interesting that a nonpartisan data provider would provide to a partisan shop. Um, I guess it's hard to find shops that aren't partisan, but. 
That yeah. Reason. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I've never had that conversation with them. Maybe they just love us. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's actually interesting because we, we get uh, occasionally there are errors and we feed back information to them and uh, we say, Hey, you, you know, you want to look at this race and they do, and then they fix it. Right. What was the sort of magnitude of the difference between the vendor that you cited to use and the ones that you thought were so expensive? An order of magnitude. Like how much, how many, uh, how many dollars? I think it would have cost us 50 K to do it with this other vendor. And we ended up paying around 5 K. Okay. So, but on the scale of politics, 50 K is not a giant sum. It's a giant sum to a scrappy, uh, nonprofit like, uh, SoCal blue, which is where we started. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and we totally could not have paid for it if we had to pay for our people who are working on it. Everybody's a volunteer. What's the breadth of your coverage of the country with the Blue Voter Guide now and, and aspirationally, I guess? So now we cover all national, you know, wherever you are in the U.S., in our covered states. So that's, I guess, the first thing. We are only working in our battleground states, which I can list for you, but they're the obvious ones, the usual suspects. And so there are nine states that are covered. If you're anywhere in those states, doesn't matter where, and you input your address, you will see national offices, you will see statewide offices, you will see state ballot propositions, and you will see your state legislator, whoever that is. Along with those recommendations along by the groups? Along, right. You will see the endorsers. You will see all so, the endorsers so th for that. So there's a certain amount of work involved in researching Every state you add, there's work to be done to, up, to to get all the endorsers. It must be a lot of work. I never, I never thought we would pull this off. I, you know, I had nightmares about it. I just hired the right people at the super low uh, volunteer discount rate of nothing. I have a team of about fifty people that I work with to do this. There are some areas if you're in a large city where you will see down ballot. A lot of big cities that we, we do have down ballot, and aspirationally. Clearly, we'd like to have down ballot in more states, and we're trying to figure out a way that we can do this on our back end with people inputting. We're going to try that. And then we hope next time, if this takes off like, like it deserves to, we want to have more states covered. There seems to me like there's two sides to this that are somewhat complex. One is getting the data, applying your information, and then presenting it. The other side is getting people to actually know about it and use it. And that often is even a greater challenge in this world with many things to do. How are you going about the second one? That's what gives me nightmares. Like, what if, what if you gave a party and uh, nobody came? So we have reached out. Uh, through uh, grassroots contacts to every group that we know in the country. We have a whole effort to explain what the guide is, to tell them about it. We have a wonderful video about the guide. You watch it and then it just says, oh, I get it. Yes, this is a great idea. And then we call people that we know that are influencers through social media. We have our Instagram and Facebook and all those others. And so... Um, We'll see how this goes um, because and podcasts, we reach out. I reached out to you and anybody that's uh, listening to this, I hope will go to the site. It's real simple. It's blueboarderguide.org. It does seem like that kind of partnership and promotion would be easier if you had national coverage and you didn't have to be like 
well, the, I don't have it for Tennessee or whatever the states that are just too red or too blue. Have you looked at funding for this cycle for trying to take it national and comprehensive and really try to blow it out bigger? Not for this cycle, because we really only finished building it. I mean, we're constantly building it and constantly improving it, but we really only felt we could go public with it maybe in the last couple of months. And we've been working on it for about a year. So there wasn't- But that's time. the only time you need to go public with a election, a voting tool, pretty much, right? Well, primaries right. are, are, are happening. But. Right. Um it, it's possible we could have gotten funding to pay for people to do other states. Uh, like people approach me in some states. Somebody from Indiana approached me the other day and said, "Gosh, we really would like this. Can, you know what what's involved?" And I said, "Well, what's involved is you need to give us fifteen hundred dollars so we can buy data for your state, and I need ten volunteers. I need ten volunteers in Indiana on the ground who are willing to do the work. In addition to my team, because my team is so uh, that awesome seems like an incredibly low bar to me." $1,500 and, and, you know, 30 volunteers. Yeah. You need to walk in my moccasins just for a short period of time. <laughs> then you will see what, what's involved. I never thought we would be able to do this. I never saw how we would be able to do this. The spreadsheet magic that we had to do uh, on, on the back end. And yeah. I do see how there's a lot of coordination and certainly just trying to do quality checks on the data and it could be a lot of work but i mean i personally if we're going to have a blue voter guide i'd like to see something like that you know available to everybody from your lips to god's ear me too what do you think the impact is of providing this to a voter do you have any way of telling well, we have our history. We had the ballot proposition guide in 2018 and 2020. It was widely used, and we have gotten a tremendous amount of feedback about what a service we had done with this. People were so grateful. It saved them. We think that it's similar. Uh, everybody who hears about the idea gets very ex excited about it. There's 7 million new voters, young people that are voting this time that haven't voted before. And uh, there's just a ton of hesitant voters who are scared to vote and scared to make the wrong decision. So if you can say, here, this will help you make the decision. It's painless. Take a look and see what you think. I mean, it strikes me that this is the kind of thing, I mean, you've probably thought of a lot of this, but it's the kind of thing that could be white labeled. In other words, you allow a interest group to use this tool in their name with their endorsements. There's a lot of, seems like iterations of it that could be customizable, that could only climate endorsements or tons of other applications. What, what have you thought about in that regard? Well, um, first of all, you can customize it yourself. You can, you can pick your candidates by manually by looking, but there's also a module now where you can pick an endorser and in it and your ballot will fill out automatically with that endorser. You could fill you could choose the state Democratic Party and it's really fun to watch. It just goes beep, 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 and it, it puts, you know, a check in everyone. And there's a little meter on the side that checks your progress, shows you. So we've gamified it a little bit and it's it's a lot of fun. So that's one thing. We also allow any organization that's interested to have a branded version. That's really simple. We've created that and that's in place as well. Yeah, we probably could go to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin and say, hey, we'll do a version for you where we're only using your endorsements. That's probably something f uh, that we'll do maybe next time.
to some extent, their endorsements have a D by their name on the ballot, right? So um, maybe that's a little less. I mean, what has this sparked any controversy? Are there anybody that you've irritated by, you know, coming out for their opponent or against their ballot measure that that is made it more complicated to deal with? What we get is a lot of feedback from endorsers. Uh, hey, why aren't we on there? These are our endorsements. Would you add us? And we always add endorsers if they fit our profile of who we want. Also, you know, we're constantly adding new endorsements because that endorsement process is slow. Culver City Den Club just had its meeting last night and endorsed uh, several ballot propositions. So that'll go up later in the week. It's going to be controversial if we do primaries in 2024. That's something really interesting because then we would be blue on blue. We'll see what happens with that. You wouldn't be endorsing so much as just showing other people's endorsements. We're the mailman, right? We want to be Switzerland. Although, you know, we in picking endorsers, there's some choice involved in that. I mean, I could imagine also a targeted version of this to sort of independence, which was not just a list of progressive endorsers, but was a more calibrated, you know, it could be newspapers or it could be concocted in a way that would help people that were most likely to go one way or the other, but you wanted to go your direction, providing them the most persuasive endorsers for, for moving them. That's right. And, um, you know, that's the difference between Abigail Spamberger's district and AOC's district and how you're going to appeal to voters there. If, you know, if you saw the messaging in Kansas over the recent ballot proposition that was there, it was really smart. It wasn't very left. It was, it was, it was a minister on there talking about Christian values and so on. So, yeah. yeah I mean, cause, because some, there are people who receiving this list of progressive endorsements would actually move the needle the wrong way if you sent it to the wrong list of people. That's right. We leave it up to our states. We try to connect with groups on the ground in the states. We say, okay, we've made the first pass. These are the endorsers that we've come up with. We're happy to add other ones. We're happy if you hate some, we're going to take them off. There are some organizations which we have excluded de deliberately because we don't want them in the guide. And we do like that. We also allow people to, at, on the last page of the guide, there's lots of ways to spread it. And so you can send it to your friends. You can copy the link. It's a permanent page. Whatever, whatever ballot you come up with, you keep it and print it out, take it with you and uh, share it. Is this something you personally want to stay with for, uh, you know, into, through the presidential and beyond? What, what are you thinking about this project? To me, this is an existential moment. We really need to elect Democrats at this point. There are responsible Republican organizations that agree with that. You know, it's not going to do any good to elect, you know, the people that are Republicans, uh, by and large, that are on the ballot. I think uh, 2024 is going to be really interesting. And, you know, what it's going to shake out to be is going to depend on what happens in this election. But I'm certainly going to stick with it through 2024. I'm not getting any younger. It's so funny. When 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 we all got started in this, we, we knew in 2018 that we had momentum in 2018. Trump was going to be on the ballot in 2020. The election we really were worried about was 2022. And, and we were worried about that, you know, four or five years ago. And we were right to worry. 
uh, for different reasons that we couldn't have anticipated. But I'm hoping that this will become kind of a standard brand like some of the other brands. And because it's a different way to think about it, it's a different way to do it. There's a lot to recommend it. What's happening in the five districts that you mentioned earlier in in 2022? Well, they've all changed because of redistricting, which is its own problem. District uh, CA25 was Katie Hill's district. Remember, she had to resign. And so a Republican was elected. The Democrat, that now is called uh, CA27. The Democrat uh, did not get elected in, uh, in 2020 by 300 votes. And so it was really heartbreaking. And now there are a lot of things that are going uh, for us that, that are, are to our advantage there. It's been redistricted. There was a very red part of that district that is no longer in that district. So we think we're going to take that back. Katie Porter has a whole new district. Uh, you know, she was CA45. It's got a new name now. It's CA47. It's encompassing areas that don't know her, but we think she's going to do fine. There are some real surprises in, in California. There's a district, CA41, uh, which used to be CA42, which is in Riverside. It's a very red area, but in redistricting, suddenly Palm Springs is now included. Palm Springs is a very liberal area. It's a very gay-centered area, and there is a candidate who is openly gay now that's running against Ken Calvert and has a real shot. We think that the other districts that were in the, in the SoCal, the original five that we flipped, they're, they're looking pretty good. I think uh, 11 will have no problem getting reelected in 49. It's even kept the same district number. That was the one where Daryl Issa was there and got rid of him. And then he went over to run in another district. And then there's two, two other districts. There's good candidates there and we're hopeful. Uh, it's close. You were talking about the energy that in the volunteers back in 2017, 18, with the kind of shock of the Trump election, what do you feel now? How are we on our side comparatively? Well, back then, uh, if you were to go out on a, a, a canvas, especially during GOTV, I mean, I, I remember going out and canvassing for Katie Hill. I mean, there were just buses of people. There were just like hundreds and hundreds of people going out all over. And we knew this. We had felt this. And, and it was easy to predict, despite what people were saying, that we were going to take back these swing districts and we were going to take back the House because you could feel it. It's not the same now. Everybody is tired. We've been fighting for six years. Oh, my God. So you really have to be fanatic about it. And um, we do have volunteers. We continually strive to make it easier for them. And that's why something like Blue Voter Guide is so important, because we did not have the technology at that time. We were It was all seat of your pants going out and door knocking. And we have an infrastructure now that's much more sophisticated. Field Team 6 has a uh, a website called Voterizer, which is a, a web portal. It's a web app that makes it easy for you to find out how to register in whatever state you're in. There's just all kinds of stuff that you can mention. So we have a lot more weaponry now. What about the energy on the other side? Because they are um, being ginned up by having had the election win by their dear leader taken away fraudulently. We've been governing and solving problems, so that is irritating. Do you have a sense of what's going on on the right? I know you're in, in California. It's not highly representative of Republicans in Mississippi or Tennessee, but what do you see there? Well, they hate us. They hate us a lot. And, uh, you know, we can thank this uh, 40, 50 year effort on the part of the right to, uh, to gin them up 
at this point, they have all these megaphones. So I, I don't think we try to try to convince them, although it was really interesting if you saw uh, Bernie go out in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 and talk to r- groups that were sort of MAGA groups about those issues. They were very receptive to him because he and Trump both said the same thing about what the problem was. The difference was Bernie said, yeah, it's the corporations. And Trump said, no, it's people of color and people from other countries. That's that's the problem. So it's a it's a witch's brew on the extreme uh, right. We have to remember this country was founded by religious fanatic slaveholders and people who came here to get rich quick. And that's in our DNA. So I don't know that we're going to ever have much success with that third of the country, the third that didn't join the American Revolution. But there are a vast group of people that are in the middle. And the biggest group, the biggest group in the 2020 election was not Democrats. It was not Republicans. It was people who did not vote. So it's really about focusing on that independence, registering new people, and and getting them out. And then I guess in the far future, we can worry about what's going to happen if we have a, a Republican party or another political party that comes back to sanity and, and what, what things are going to be like after that. But right now, it's just this pure power struggle. And I'm really glad to see on the left, you know, when Biden came out with his speech talking about semi-fascism and so on, they used to say the Democrats, we would bring a spoon to, to a knife fight or whatever the joke was, but we're getting more serious about it. And I think that's great. And I think people are listening. So we shall see what we shall see. Predictions are very dangerous, especially about the future. I've heard people say that. I think um, it's Yogi Berra. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like people to know about Blue Voter Guide? Go there, check it out. It's bluevoterguide.org. If you like it, pass it on. On that website, there's all kinds of tools. Uh, There's a a menu at the top, and one of the items is Build the Blue Wave. If you click on that, it'll take you to a page. One of the links there is to the... Uh, this very powerful video we've done uh, and send that around uh, if you're excited about it and look at all the other things you can do. We're building this out. We're hoping to get attention on a national level. And uh, that's where we are. I know that you have one other prescription for improving politics that you mentioned to me before we started recording. And my suggestion is we take five minutes for you to articulate that for the heck of it. Okay. So um, I had, uh, as I mentioned, I had thrown my ladder against the wall. I was storming the barricades. I was in the war uh, of electoral politics. And in the middle of it, I looked around and realized I had thrown my ladder against the wrong wall. We have an electoral democracy in this country. We think elections equal democracy. Not true. The original democracy in Greece was an entirely different kettle of fish. They had some elections, but by and large, public officials were selected by lot. What? Yeah, they were selected by lot. How can that be? How can people selected by lot come to intelligent, important decisions? Well, gee, don't we have something called the jury system in this country? And don't we allow people on juries to make life or death decisions that are really complicated? Could a jury make policy decisions? So there is a worldwide movement. It started here and then it left here and migrated to Europe, which is called uh, citizen assemblies. And a citizen assembly brings together a group of everyday people to examine an important public issue. And residents just like us, and they're randomly selected, they reflect the general public, and it's like a city in one room. They're professionally facilitated, they're given a very narrow remit to 
work on one problem, they bring in experts, they listen to them, they bring in stakeholders, they listen to them. They're also given instruction and cognitive bias and critical thinking, and then they deliberate, which is a very different process than arguing and fighting. What they're trying to do is come to a consensus about an evidence-based solution. They do it in such a way that all voices are heard. And when people come together as people, they're not coming together as Republicans or Democrats or anything like that. They're just there as people. So this exists outside of, apart from politics as usual, and research has shown that it works. They've had these assemblies all over the world, and it's a movement that's growing and it's beginning to get started in the United States. So that's my thumbnail. You did way better than five minutes. If I were going to bring on somebody who's an expert in that, who's worked on that, is there anybody that you suggest as a guest? Uh, do you want somebody from our country or do you want somebody for, uh, you're open to having somebody from Europe? I guess I would want the best person regardless of where they were from. There's two guys. There's one guy with a, a foundation in England. It's called the Sortition Foundation. Sortition just means uh, selecting by random by lot. His name is Brett Hennig. And then you might want to check out a guy named David Van Raybrook. Both of them have uh, written books about this. David Van Raybrook is Belgian, and he was uh, one of the architects of the permanent citizen assembly that's now part of the East Belgian government. So either one of those guys would be really interesting for you to bring on. Cool. Uh, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't? I think you've covered it. I really appreciate it. I, I always listen to you and I think, God, he is so good at interviewing people. You know, he just gets to the heart and he goes right there. And it's just been really fun to, to do it in person with you. Did I, so I got to the heart of the blue voter guy? I think you did. I think oh. you asked great questions. I don't know. I have, to, I have to watch it later and see and think, oh my God, I forgot to say this. So we'll see. <laughs> well, I appreciate the compliment. Oh, I always ask anything else you want to say. Well, you allowed me to talk about uh, democratic lotteries. And I preempted that. <laughs> yeah, and citizen assemblies, and I, I really appreciate it. I mean, people are so uh, fed up with all the partisan fighting, all the ginned up conflicts. It would all be obviated if we allowed citizens selected by random to have a voice. We wouldn't be fighting anymore. We, you know, it, It's a threat to entrenched power clearly. But it's also useful because when you have something like this, you get buy-in immediately. If you have a tough problem in a, in a city or a municipality and you bring in a citizens assembly like they just did in Petaluma, it's a relief to the politicians, right? It's like, oh, it's on them now. It's not us. And they bring back a solution and then the politicians get all the credit. It does seem like something that would have its place and could be very useful. Thank you for bringing it up. That was Wayne Liebman. He's at bluevoterguide.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.